I have to say it's really pretty easy. You figure out what you should be tipping someone and then you add just a little bit more. The value and the importance of the tip in this edition of the Gratitude Journal podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal podcast. Hello, followers and friends and downloaders of the Gratitude Journal podcast. Matthew here, and it's been a couple of weeks. That's right, I know. It was in the back of my mind the whole time. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I really need to reel off another podcast. But things got in the way, which I'll get to here in just a little bit. But we're back, you know. Uh, Absence makes the heart grow fonder, so they say. And I'm a believer in that to a certain extent, and I'm going with it uh, in this case. So, welcome back. Thank you for uh, your uh, support and your enjoyment, hopefully, of the Gratitude Journal podcast, a podcast that I sort of had in the back of my mind for a couple of years and uh, was urged on by really... Uh, my good friend Ron, who suggested that I keep a gratitude journal. And I got to thinking, you know, some of the things that I'm putting in this journal would make uh, good fodder for a broadcast. And of course, we're now knowing them as podcasts. And call it what you like, it gives me a chance to have a microphone in front of my face. And really, anybody can do it. That's the great thing about the podcast realm. Now that we're encroaching on a million podcasts and probably more than a million podcasts. But uh, you do your thing and uh, I'll do mine and we'll enjoy each other's podcast here on a somewhat overcast, rainy Thursday afternoon as I record this. We have thunderstorms moving in. So I mentioned to my wife, you know, I'd better get on the stick here because who knows, we've lost power once already this week. And um, before the weekend, which is destined to be absolutely spectacular here, uh, I thought I would jump on things podcast-wise. It has been busy, and some of that busyness revolved around our trip to St. Louis to see our granddaughter, Mally. And as you probably have known from uh, other episodes of this podcast, uh, Mally's cancer has returned. And so the family and us, uh, we all thought that it would be a great idea to journey out to St. Louis. And I was all prepared, got the rental car and was ready to take all kinds of stuff, you know, to the family out there and prepare myself for, you know, 16, 17 hours worth of driving over a three day period. And uh, my wife probably silently cursing to herself that she had to spend all that time in the car with me going out there and then back on what is quite possibly the most boring drive in the United States of America. I know we lived there for three years in that area and uh, we drove that uh, I-70 drive many times and it is just unbelievably dull. But um, Uh, Maybe she silently said that to herself. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, But but luckily, luckily, her son came to the rescue and 
and offered us plain fare. And uh, I did so with much trepidation, but I was very um, grateful for that, that uh, he came to the rescue and uh, that uh, Preston and his wife, Jenny, uh, offered that very generous gift. And so we took advantage of that. And, and really, for the most part, I, I think and I hope that we emerged unscathed, uh, seeing as how airports and airlines are demanding all people wear masks. We wore rubber gloves uh, as well so that we didn't really touch anything. The downside is that all of our flights, including connections, four flights uh, in total, all were those kind of small planes. So you've probably heard or read about airlines trying to X out a particular seat to increase social distancing. Well, there was no way to do that on these planes. So I let Donick sort of have the window seat on most of the rides, and I sort of turned towards her because the person next to me clearly wasn't six feet away. And so I turned towards her so that I would at least give the illusion of offering some kind of protection in a just very crazy, very surreal world that we live in. And um, so it was great to see the family. It was great to see Mally. And I have to admit that I really tried to do my best to really not be close to her. I mean, I really don't know, you know, what's in my own body and after traveling on the plane, all that other stuff and working at the restaurant. I really tried to, you know, wear a mask when appropriate, and I really tried to stay on the other side of the room. I found myself going outside quite a bit just to kind of break things up so that I was, you know, at least trying to do my part so that I didn't uh, influence, you know, her medical world and make it worse than it already is. And so I thought to myself, did I come off as sort of standoffish and... It probably to a certain extent, but I'm, I'm hoping that it was done with the best intentions. And um, so it was a quick, it was enjoyable trip. It was a sad trip. And it's one of those situations where you try to say the right things. And you know what you're feeling, but you don't really know how to put it into words. And, you know, Mally is, you know, a beautiful, intelligent adult woman who in, is just going through so many things and has gone through so many things. And you're put into the situation where you're trying to say the best things and the right things and, and not say just perfunctory things. And, and sometimes it's just better not to say anything at all. And that's sometimes the way I approached it. So I... I rode home on those flights and just thinking to myself about everything that she's endured and and everything that a person should not have to endure and all of the strength and fortitude that she's demonstrated is so it's light years beyond what I would be able to demonstrate if confronted with the same circumstances. And I've had a lot of people over the past couple of weeks, clients and everyone say, you know, how is your granddaughter? You know, we're praying for her, we're thinking about her. 
And all those things are certainly appreciated. But I, I couldn't help but think when I was flying home, looking out over the clouds at you know, 31,000 feet, each and every day, what this young lady is going through and, and all of the things that her family is going through and all of the fronts that they have to put up in order to not make the situation even worse than it is. And it's just such a, it's such a horrible situation to have cancer anyway, and then to be stricken at such an early age and to have to really muster every ounce of energy that you can to just get through a day. It's just a situation that I will never fully comprehend. And we, all of us will probably never fully comprehend it until it happens to us. So it was such a whirlwind excursion. And really, I was just almost kind of mentally and certainly sort of physically deteriorated by the time I got home. And it's also one of those situations then in the back of your mind, you think, okay, I just flew on an airplane with all these people and hung out in airports. You know, does that put me more at risk? And, you know, I have a tendency to have these little sort of coughs and sniffles and stuff at this time of the year anyway. And it's sort of been magnified this week. And so every time I would clear my throat, I would think, okay, is COVID-19 invading, you know, my tracheal region? What's going on? And the whole thing just sucks. I mean, I really don't know any other way to put it. I do feel a sense of gratitude this week for having made the decision to quit my part-time job. And it's been coming for some time, I think. I think it's been exacerbated by COVID-19. But it's a situation where I really had to hammer out some hardcore decision-making about this job. And I know I've referenced it before that due to a couple of surgical techniques that I had to endure that were not really successful and kind of being ladled with some extra bills. I just really felt in the spirit of losing some uh, clientele even before the pandemic that I really needed to kind of supplement things. And this particular position came along where I worked at a restaurant as a tapologist, and I work at a kind of an Italian pizza place that also has a tap room. And my job primarily is to talk beer uh, with people. And really, that accounts for about 25% of this job. The other 75% is doing the regular things that restaurant people do. And so I decided, though, that it was probably best at this point to not go uh, further. And I told them in this letter that I wrote to offer my resignation that I was really I was really grateful that they would take a chance on some old dude like me who really doesn't bring a lot of restaurant experience to the table. And while I was a bartender like more than 25 years ago and I even went to bartending school 
Uh, I've never been a server. I, you know, I've never waited tables. I've never bussed tables. And so my experience, I've never delivered. I've never worked in a kitchen. And so all that vernacular that even these kids, you know, 30 years younger than me have been used to for some time, I have no exposure to these things or very little exposure to these things. But I was attracted by the fact that I got to talk beer with people. And so, you know, they took a chance on me. And I told them in my letter that I was grateful that they took a chance on me because they told me in my initial interview, listen, it's going to get busy here. And I'm worried that you already have a full-time thing and that you're going to come in here and for six or seven hours, you're going to be going nonstop. And I'm concerned about that. And they were right on the money. They were right on the money because that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it is. But I really felt like number one, that COVID-19 had sort of taken its toll for me mentally. And while the restaurant is doing everything they can do to cover their bases, to perform according to the laws and the guidelines mandated by the state, there are still some things that aren't being done 100% of the time. But more importantly, the clientele, most of them who are coming into the restaurant, are really uh, operating as though uh, it's June 4th of 2019. That's really the way they're operating. And while there might be the rogue person who comes in with a mask, the majority of them do not. The majority of them sit at tables together and I know that they're not family. The majority of them are laughing and they're carrying on and having fun and people are coming into the restaurant and they're joining their party and they're hugging and embracing and they're acting like this thing has been destroyed, this virus, and it hasn't. Meanwhile, we're walking around like Neil Armstrong with our masks and our gloves and doing everything we can to wipe everything down, you know, every so many half hours, um, making sure that we're wearing gloves, changing those gloves every time we touch a plate to take it back into the kitchen after bussing tables, every time I touch a broom to sweep something up, I'm changing those gloves, I'm using hand sanitizer, I'm not touching the taps of the, you know, the, the tap handles, trying to educate customers as to how to do it. And while we're all doing those things, there is that small contingent of customers who don't buy any of this COVID-19 thing. I mean, they would no more wear a mask than the man in the moon. And they would say to me, how long are they going to make you wear that crap? And I'm thinking to myself, hey, dude, I'm doing this for you. Okay, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for you. That's what I'm told to do because that's my job. I 
I remember my first day back, I said to one of the managers, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Why? We have everything out. We have gloves. We have masks. What's, what's, what's the problem? What's wrong? And I'm looking behind this manager, and there's three tables, and while they're distance apart correctly, those tables are filled with people who are not family. They're acting just as if there is no virus present. So my reasoning, the first reason, maybe not even the most important reason, is because I know inherently that it's only going to get worse. The more people go out and mingle, the more the numbers are going to spike. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And so I think the longer that I put myself in that position, that means I put my wife in that position. I think the other reason for leaving this job is primarily because it's becoming more and more important, I think, for me to be near my wife with her condition and to make sure that she has what she needs and to not be away for six or seven hour periods of time unless I know that there's somebody else looking in on her. And so that's a huge concern. And I said that in my letter, that this was a huge concern. If I go away, I don't go away all that often, but if I go away, I know that I'm going to plan that weekend away so that there's other people, there are other people, there are other friends who are available to kind of look in on her and to make sure that everything is fine with her. But in the midst of a crushing rush of people on a Saturday night at 7.15 and I know that I may have legitimately five more hours of work to do, I can't even look at my phone to know that if something crops up or something's wrong that I can do anything about it. Plus, I'm a good 25 minutes away. And so that bothered me and I have to make an excuse to go to the restroom just so I could look at my phone to make sure nothing was going on or that she didn't have a question or any number of things that rattle through your head while you're trying to work and you know that it's probably better that you're not there. So that was a concern as well. So I felt it the best thing to do at this point in time was to not work there. And so while I was doing my walk the other day, I really thought about this decision and the more I thought about it, the more comfortable I felt about it. Even though I did enjoy finding a few extra shekels deposited into my account every couple of weeks. But I will say that I'm grateful for this opportunity because it's really given me a chance to appreciate the restaurant worker on a completely different level, having done it myself. I think a lot of the people who work in restaurants are either one of two people. 
and my situation of needing a couple of extra bucks, at least at this particular location, is, is kind of a rare situation. Because you either have people who have decided to make it a career and have done it for a pretty long time, or they are people that are doing it just while they get done studying so that they can do their life's goal. Or they're biding time until something else emerges. Or it's one of three or four jobs that are included in their weekly schedule. And this is the sort of 18 to 20 hours of this job that they need before they go home, get some sleep, and get up to do their other job. I think most of these people are pretty hardworking people. And there is a certain subculture in the restaurant business. And it doesn't take you very long to get latched on to that subculture and to learn the vernacular and to see who's a good worker and who isn't, who's management material and who isn't, who really wants to be there and who doesn't really want to be there at all. It's also given me an interesting observation on people, on customers, and what customers mean to a business, and who those customers are. I would say, in the aggregate, that most people are pretty much okay. I think they're generally not too demanding. I think they go into an establishment with a certain series of expectations, but those expectations aren't egregious. I think there's a subset of people that are overtly friendly, that take it upon themselves a certain sense of pride, that they're able to talk and or flirt with anybody who comes into contact with them. They enjoy it. And I think there is a small subset of people that, for the most part, are the biggest assholes you'd ever want to meet. They look at the restaurant experience, the experience of being a customer, as sort of a right of theirs. That because I'm a customer, you have to do whatever I say. You have to do whatever I want you to do. I can make you do it as many times as I want. Because all I know is that if I say the words, I want to see the manager, that you have to kowtow and bow to everything that I do. And, and we have to, because they're the customer. We get that. But there is a certain subset of people who just savor that experience. They really like that. And you can almost tell immediately from the time they sit down. My job at the restaurant is to talk to people primarily. And you can tell immediately the people who want to talk, who want to be spoken to, who want to learn something, who want to have a relationship 
with the person speaking with them. And you can tell immediately the ones who do not. They want you to be in the next county. They don't want you anywhere near them. They got this. They understand this. If Unless I break a glass or unless I need to check out, I don't want to ha- see hide nor hair of you. But it's made me appreciate them. It's made me appreciate how I treat the people who serve me. Because I know how I would want to be treated by them. So I've appreciated this experience. I'm grateful for it. It's been a hard experience. I'm an old dude. And there's a lot of stooping, lifting, bending, cleaning, wiping. I wear my Fitbit device. And on a typical weekend night, it's very easy to get 16, 17, 18,000 steps in. Going back and forth. And after working all day, I'm tired. And I think about these other people who are working two or three jobs. And they've got to be tired too, even though they may be younger than me. I appreciate that effort. And I hope that my immediate supervisors appreciated my effort. I've watched customers berate people. And I don't want to be that kind of customer. I've watched managers and supervisors berate people in front of customers who work there. And I don't want to be that kind of manager or supervisor. I've watched kids walk out in the middle of a shift and I don't want to be that kid. I've watched managers go the extra mile because a customer complained about something legitimately. And I want to be that person. I've seen some of my coworkers go out of their way for customers, and I want to be that person. So the next time you go to a restaurant or you go anywhere where you are the customer, don't be that kind of customer. Don't have the superiority complex. It's not attractive. It doesn't even work. Because we'll eventually do what you want us to do because you are the customer. We know that. That goes without saying. But don't be that kind of customer. And my other point of advice, and I say this only because I'm very grateful for it, is something I mentioned at the top of this podcast. Tip profusely. If somebody does a good job, give them more than what you're supposed to give them. Show them that you appreciate them. Believe me, in the almost six months that I've worked at this job, I've had countless incidents where I feel I've gone above and beyond what's expected of me in terms of customer service. And while my position is not a tipped position, I do receive tips and am grateful for those tips. On Monday night, I worked and I earned the most tips I've ever earned since I've been at this restaurant. And it was because I felt that I gave these people exceptional customer service. 
and that they appreciated that, and I'm grateful for it. So go the extra mile. Tip more than you normally would, especially if you enjoy the service, especially if your experience was a good one, because going out to eat, going out to drink, going out to be involved in the nightlife or lunch or brunch, their experiences and the, the people's job at these restaurants and at these facilities and at the, inside these environments is to make your experience a great one. That's their job. And it's reciprocal by the way you reward them in an extra way to do their job. So to all those people who came into the brew wall and solicited my very meager, <laughs> my very meager beer advice, I'm grateful for you showing me appreciation with an extra $5 bill. And I'm going to show that appreciation in turn when I feel comfortable visiting restaurants again as a patron. I'm very grateful for that. So those of you who are listening to this podcast, yeah, in addition to giving a little extra in tip, float some positive thoughts, would you? Some positive karma, prayers, if that's where you're at. For our granddaughter, it's a particularly tough time right now and some things hang in the balance but we're trying to keep very positive thoughts very positive energy and the more the merrier here's hoping you're safe and that you're healthy and though in those words I do not say lightly I do not say those words lightly because regardless of how you spin it on Facebook or on Twitter, I believe this has been real and I believe there's been a lot of suffering and there's been a lot of heartache and you being safe and healthy is very important to me as I'm sure it's important to your families. Thank you for downloading and checking in on another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast.